Let me pray for our time. Our Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word. When your servant Moses was called to serve you, he saw something extraordinary. He saw a burning bush. He saw it burning, and yet it was alive, and there was no death to the, to the tree. It was an amazing thing. It was an amazing uh, thing for him to see with his own eyes. He'd never seen anything like it. And you warned him, take off your shoes, because you're on holy ground. And if he hadn't have heeded those words, I trust he would have died. But he did, and he served you faithfully in your house. And so we ask for grace now to realize we're coming to holy ground too when we come to your word. That we might hear it rightly, unlike many of the Israelites. That we might hear it rightly, that it would be united with faith in greater measure. We pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen. Please turn to God's word in the letter to the Hebrews. I will read from chapter 3, verse 1, until the end of chapter 4. I want to send greetings to those who are watching us via live stream and, and uh, for Christo Redentor and for anybody else who might watch this later. All of the things that we'll talk about this morning will last until the second coming of Christ. All the words will stand. So if you watch it later, the words that come from God's word do not run out. They don't expire. There will be a day when it will be too late, but right now they're still for our benefit. And so may God grant us grace to consider his word now as we hear it. Hear the word of the living God. Therefore, holy brothers, you who share in a heavenly calling, consider Jesus, the apostle and high priest of our confession, who was faithful to him who appointed him, just as Moses also was faithful in all God's house. For Jesus has been counted worthy of more glory than Moses, as much more glory as the builder of a house has more honor than the house itself. For every house is built by someone, but the builder of all things is God. Now Moses was faithful in all God's house as a servant to testify to the things that were to be spoken later. But Christ is faithful over God's house as a son, and we are his house, if indeed we hold fast our confidence and our boasting and our hope. Therefore, as the Holy Spirit says, today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts, as in the rebellion, on the day of testing in the wilderness, where your fathers put me to the test and saw my works for 40 years. Therefore, I was provoked with that generation and said, they always go astray in their heart. They have not known my ways. As I swore in my wrath, they shall never enter my rest. Take care, brothers. Lest there be in any of you an evil, unbelieving heart, leading you to fall away from the living God. But exhort one another every day, as long as it is called today, that none of you may be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. For we have come to share in Christ, if indeed we hold our original confidence firm to the end. As it is said today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts as in the rebellion. For who were those who heard and yet rebelled? Was it not all those who left Egypt led by Moses? And with whom was he provoked for 40 years? Was it not those who sinned, whose bodies fell in the wilderness? 
And to whom did he swear that they would not enter his rest, but to those who were disobedient? So we see that they were unable to enter because of unbelief. Therefore, while the promise of entering his rest still stands, let us fear lest any of you should seem to have failed to reach it. For good news came to us just as to them, but the message they heard did not benefit them because they were not united by faith with those who listened. For we who have believed enter that rest, as he has said, as I swore in my wrath, they shall not enter my rest. Although his works were finished from the foundation of the world. For he has somewhere spoken of the seventh day in this way. And God rested on the seventh day from all his works. And again in this passage he said, they shall not enter my rest. Since therefore it remains for some to enter it. And those who formerly received the good news failed to enter because of disobedience. Again, he appoints a certain day today, saying through David so long afterward in the words already quoted, Today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts. For if Joshua had given them rest, God would not have spoken of another day later on. So then there remains a Sabbath rest for the people of God. For whoever has entered God's rest has also rested from his works, as God did from his. Let us therefore strive to enter that rest, so that no one may fall by the same sort of disobedience. For the word of God is living and active, sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing to the division of soul and of spirit, of joints and of marrow, and discerning the thoughts and intentions of the heart. And no creature is hidden from his sight, But all are naked and exposed to the eyes of him to whom we must give an account. Since then we have such a great high priest who has passed through the heavens. Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold fast our confession. For we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who in every respect has been tempted as we are, yet without sin. Let us with confidence draw near to the throne of grace, that we we may receive mercy and find grace to help in the time of need. As I, too, have been going through the book of Hebrews, studying it, I uh, am amazed by two things. The first one is I, I, I find myself going back to game shows that I watched in the 1970s and the 1980s. Some of you may remember uh, the newlywed game or Let's Make a Deal, or shows like that. And uh, if you were the winner, you got a great prize, usually. And usually you, just, you got the prize, and that was the end of it. And, uh, but on some occasions, they would tell you what your prize is. So let's say you happen to be a fisherman. And they said, a grand prize selected especially for you. And they would go through as to what this might be, and you get this incredible fishing vessel. And they go through all the specifications and they tell you how much it cost. And you're thinking, man, I did pretty good. But that wasn't the end of it. Then it says, and you're going to need that boat on your two-week trip to the Keys. And then they go into this full expenses paid trip to the Keys on top of the boat. Way beyond just having the boat, although that would be pretty good. And that's what I feel like when I'm reading through the book of Hebrews we see that God was so good to his people in the Old Testament 
But at every turn, it's not the same as Jesus. Jesus is always superior. Jesus is always better. The angels are glorious creatures, but Jesus is infinitely better. Moses was a great servant, but Jesus is infinitely better. And the rest that the Israelites had in some measure was was glorious, but it doesn't compare with the rest to come. It doesn't compare to the rest of come. And so as we're going through the book of Hebrews, all of our expectations and all of our pictures of what God is doing have to be continually expanded in accordance with what the word says. This was, is not some small operation, as we say in the business world sometimes. This is a cosmic operation that God has accomplished in his son. The stakes are very high. Great losses or great gains. Jesus said, what does it profit a man to gain the whole world but lose his own soul? And we talked about this athlete who seems to have just had a little piece of the world, but seems in danger of losing his own soul. Or we hear the Apostle Peter say about God's word, these great and precious promises where you gain the salvation of your soul. Which is associated with the rest to come. And so as we go through the book of Hebrews, I hope as you, as Brian has said, marinate, (laughs) marinate on the word, that your, your thoughts of the kingdom expand, expand, expand with the description of the word and break all the small barriers or the, the barriers that you and I have of this, this work that God is doing. And part of it is just to worship God, saying, what a great work of salvation. What an incredible work of salvation God is doing, way beyond the physical things that we see here now. To enjoy him forever in everlasting peace as his creatures and as his redeemed children. The other thing that's always striking to me is how little the Israelites got the lesson over and over and over again. They did the same things, total irrationality. They had this incredible history of God's faithfulness to his word. We heard earlier in the prayer that, you know, God said to Adam, in the day day that you eat of it, you shall surely die. That should be the lesson above all lessons. We shouldn't have to have any other lessons. Because here we are, as fallen man, in part. But over and over, we see God making promises, faithful to his word, faithful to Abraham, that he would make his descendants like the stars in the sky or the sand of the sea. And you read the family list later on, it's like, man, he started out from zero, and he's got this incredible horde behind him. Or you see the goodness of God all throughout the wilderness experience. And it's been striking to me, and I think this is the the lesson that you and I need to take to heart. It's like, whoa, whoa. Nobody ever said, hey, wait a minute, guys. Let's think about this. God promised to our forefather Abraham 400 years ago what was going to happen, and he did it. He did it. It seems odd to me. We don't hear those voices as we read the, the accounts. Or the the promise of the promised land. Or the daily provisions of the manna 
And nobody's saying, hey, wait a minute, remember how we, we needed water before and he provided it? Remember when we needed food before and he provided it? It seems to totally escape their notice. And there's a temptation for us to think, oh, those are just old stories, we're moved on to the New Testament. <laughs> but the writers to the New Testament point back to them over and over again, as we'll see here. The Apostle Paul twice refers to these stories as lessons for us. In 1 Corinthians, at the end of Romans, he says, these things were written for your benefit. Not just for the warnings which we were to take to heart, but also the promises. Look how faithful God was. And so we had this great gift of the whole scriptures. Not just the New Testament where we see Christ particularly clearly, but we have the Old Testament as well where he is declared in types and signs, but always looking beyond the types and signs to Jesus himself who would come in the, in the fullness of time. And so it's very sad, I think, do I learn this lesson? And we need to think about this ourselves. Do we, do we have embedded in our mind how God has provided for us along the way? It's our own Ebenezer of how God has provided us and brought us to this point thus far. That it takes work, it takes effort, but he's really done these things. He's really loved us. He's really called us out of darkness into his marvelous light. He's really given us his Holy Spirit to dwell in us. And yet we see that all those gifts are not recognized sometimes. And so that we may not be in the condition that the hearers are of the, the writer here, but we still have that remaining corruption that needs to be subdued, that needs to be corrected. Our faith needs to grow so that as we move towards that day where our faith will be sight, our faith should be almost, it'll be a small step in some sense of leaving this life to, to go into eternity because we've been walking by faith all along. Our compass has always been the sure word of God that does not fail. And so it's a great sadness as I read these things and I, I have to take it to heart. Am I, am I acknowledging God's gifts? You know, when we have a time of thanksgiving, we're not, we're not making things up. We're not, we don't have filler time, but it's a time to acknowledge and give God his due for what he's really done, for what he's really done. Every one of you, if you're in Christ, you have a story, a story of God's grace in your life. They're like trophies. They're like memorials. And it's wonderful to hear of them, you know, when we, we talk to each other about our faith and how God brought us to Christ. It's just, wow, it's really, it's wonderful. It's glorious. And so we need to keep those in the forefront because we see how easy it is to forget. And that's one of the benefits of the Lord's Day. It brings us back. It causes us to slow down. It causes us to stop, much like the safe belt does uh, safety belt, simulator, that we don't go beyond a certain place, that we don't sin against the Lord. And so God's promises are incredibly glorious. 
And God's people can tend to be uh, incredibly forgetful. And so as we look at this passage today, the, the basic topic is Christ's rest is superior. And I just want to look at four considerations under this. Why is it superior? Why is this rest superior? Second, the requirement for entrance. The requirement for entrance. Third, the enemy of entrance. The enemy of entrance into Christ's rest. And then finally, the basis of hope of entrance. The basis, what's the foundation? Why can we even expect such a thing uh, from God? So first, why is it superior? Well, it's superior because there's, a, there's two things. There's temporary versus permanent, and there's peace versus strife. Temporary versus permanent, and peace versus strife. In verse uh, 4, chapter 4, verse 6, Since therefore it remains for some to enter it, and those who formerly received the good news failed to enter it because of disobedience, again he appoints a certain day today, that there is another rest waiting for the people of God, beyond the the temporary rest of the promised land, beyond this physical world, there's another rest coming to God's people. They had an incredible benefit on the promise of God and the faithfulness of God after being in slavery in Egypt for over 400 years that God did exactly what he said he would to Abraham. He appointed the leader Moses and he led them out of Egypt. And that was a wonderful benefit because if you read the description of what they went through, you wouldn't want this yourself. Maybe you've had a hard work situation. I know many of you are going through many physical struggles. And the Israelites were in great sadness. They said they were despondent. Moses told them what God was going to do, and they didn't listen because they were so sad. They were so despondent. And so he brings them out. And that in and of itself would have been a wonderful thing. And then as he goes through the wilderness, he provides for their needs. He provides water. He provides food. But this... Deliverance, even in the promised land, wasn't total rest. Even there, they had battles to fight. They had territories to conquer. And that's what God had for them. As they headed towards this promised land, this place of rest, but all the time, it was looking beyond it. It was a type of rest, but not the final rest that God has for his people. And so it was temporary, even when Solomon became king. And all of his enemies were done. In 1 Kings 5, 4, right before Solomon is about to try to build the temple, it says, but now the Lord my God has given me rest on every side. There is neither adversary or misfortune. What a wonderful thing. We'd, we'd love to have that. You know, you look at the internet or the newspaper about all the skirmishes and wars that are going on, that would be a wonderful thing. But it was temporary. And there was a a worse enemy than those external forces that they needed help with. They needed help with their own heart. In one of Brian's uh, recent sermons, he talked about Solomon's glory, but then it went down. Because there was an enemy within that God was going to deal with in his own son. 
And so it was temporary. It's not permanent. We see in the book of Revelation, Revelation 21, 1 to 8, and verse 27, the glory of what's to come that Brian alluded to in his, one of his recent sermons as well. This is in the book of Revelation. Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and the sea was no more. And I saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them, and, he will be, and they will be his people. And God himself will be with them as their God. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes, and death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning, nor crying, nor pain anymore, for the former things have passed away. This is the rest that we're looking forward to, a rest where there will be no more tears, there will be no more pain, there will be no more sorrow, and no more enemies. No more enemies. But we don't have it in this life And the timetable is God's. Just as Jesus came into the world in the fullness of time, he'll return again in the fullness of time at the right time. And he'll consummate all that he's promised, all that the Father has promised. And that's our hope. (laughs) As we go through the tears now, as we go through the sadness now, as we go through the illness now, the writer to the Hebrews, is not naive. I trust that he himself was suffering in some way. And he encourages us to patience. He encourages us to recalibrate what we're really expecting and to make sure it's according to God's word and not just some vain hope that we have. So it's a great mercy because we need to have our thoughts corrected and The glory to come is just incredible. Incredible. So there's the the, the comparison of the temporary versus the permanent. And I just, I pretty much mentioned the peace versus the strife. In this world, there's always efforts for reconciliation. And that's a good thing. It's a good thing in some level. But I heard a sermon once and this pastor said, even if every war was stilled in this life, and we could say if every people group was reconciled in this life, there's still another war going on. And it's in our heart. But even one day that war will be done. It will be finished. And so we always have to be careful about what we hope and expect in this life to check it with the word of God. Can I really expect this? Is this something I can put my trust in? Has God promised me this? Or is it just something I hope will happen? And I, I trust that I, like you, make mistakes and we misinterpret what God's saying or what he's promised. But that's why we always keep coming back to the word. Because the word sets us straight. So we see that there's the temporary versus permanent and the peace versus strife. We also see 
that the requirement for the entrance, what is required to enter this glorious, wonderful peace? See this in verse 3 uh, of chapter 3. I'll just read these verses. It's, it's uh, verse 3, 6, 4, 6, and 14. And we are his house, if indeed we hold fast our confidence and our boasting and our hope. Verse 4, 6. Since therefore it remains for some to enter it, and those who formerly received the, the good news failed to enter because of disobedience. Disobedience, a lack of faith. And in verse 14. Since then we have... A, high, a great high priest who has passed through the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold fast our confession. What does he mean, hold fast our confession? To hold fast our confession of faith. That the faith is our faith. The faith that God calls us to through the word. To believe him, to believe his promises, to believe his threatenings. To obey his promises and to avoid his threatenings. And as we go through life, we need help. And the author to the Hebrews offers as much help. He points us to the word as we'll get to. But he says, you have to be patient. You have to be patient. Now, some of my younger friends here, maybe this past week you lost a tooth. We used to call them baby teeth. I don't know if that's politically correct anymore, but... The, the first teeth that you get when you're growing, you have these teeth and they last for a while and then it's time for them to go. And you have to wait for the right time. You know, hopefully your parents don't say, I see it, we're going to get it out right now. <laughs> I see it breaking through the gum, let's go for it. No, dad. <laughs> no. Let's wait, dad. Let's wait for the time where it kind of wiggles you can just go, boop, and it just pops out. See, there, even in those kind of things, there's a timing And you have to be patient because who likes this thing dangling in their mouth all the time? But the same thing is true as we wait for our Lord to return, as we wait to enter that rest. We have to wait now and trust the Lord and be obedient to him now until that day, until he calls us home. We see this testified to in other places in Scripture, but one is very uh, simple in Revelation 14, uh, 13, it says this, And I heard a voice from heaven saying, Write this, Blessed are the dead who die in the Lord from now on. Blessed indeed, says the Spirit, that they may rest from their labors, for their deeds follow them. That they rest from their labors and their deeds follow them as they enter that rest that God has entered into. See, right now we're called to work. Work for the kingdom. Work for our Lord Jesus. And we can't do it without faith. We can't do it without trusting him. We can't do it without depending upon him, essentially depending upon him. Through the treasures that we have in Christ, in union to Christ, you and I don't have the power. We see it over and over again in the scriptures where mighty godly men failed at at points. And they didn't depend on the Lord. Moses didn't treat the Lord as holy. He didn't get to go into the promised land. And so we we need to realize that there's a call for patience so that we can keep doing the work the Lord wants in whatever situation we find ourselves in. 
It goes, the, the verse before the one I just read from Revelation says, here is a call for the endurance of the saints, very much along the lines of the writer to the Hebrews. Here is a call for the endurance of the saints, those who keep the commandments of God and their faith in Jesus. Faith in the scriptures called the good fight of faith. We fight for a lot of things. We fight for prestige. We fight for riches. There's no comparison with, to the fight of faith. It's what we're made for in Christ. It will bring us our greatest inheritance. It'll bring us our greatest glory and glorifies him. And so we need to be patient. We need to be patient. So the requirement of entering the kingdom is faith today. We can't look back and say, well, I gave my life to Jesus many years ago. You may have by the work of God's spirit. But today, where are you? Today, where are you? And we always have to hear this. We want to glorify the Lord today. We don't want to look back and say, well, I used to do this, but now I don't. I'm just taking a break. We're called now to glorify the Lord by faith. So what are the enemies of entrance? The enemies of entrance is pretty clear. Verse 312. Take care, brothers, lest there be in any of you an uh, an evil, unbelieving heart leading you to fall away from the living God. Unbelief is one of our enemies. Verses 318 to 19. And to whom did he swear that they would never enter his rest, but to those who were disobedient. So we see that they were unable to enter because of disobedience. There is a direct connection between unbelief and disobedience. As you believe God, as you trust God, as he is God, not in an idolatrous way, but in the true sense, you move towards him. You move towards his ways. You want to obey his commands. You're zealous. You're zealous because you love the Lord. And so you move towards him in faith, no matter what the consequences. This is what we read of in Hebrews 11, these men and women of faith. And there were children of faith over time who did difficult things because they loved the Lord and trusted him. They knew they had a better inheritance than this world. And they moved forward. So there's this connection between unbelief and disobedience. So we see it going back and forth, but they're united. And really, what is unbelief? It's saying, I don't don't believe what the Lord says is true. You're calling God a liar in some sense. You align yourself with the evil one who's the father of lies. Who, as we already said at the, at the beginning of creation, when God made man, said, did God say, surely you will not die? Adam chose the wrong voice. And here we are. And so we need to know how important trusting God's word is. How firm it is by the power of the Holy Spirit, the conviction of the Holy Spirit that this is the word of God. And no one, no no human, no angel, no spirit of darkness can overrule it. At the end of the day, it's going to stand. And all the liars and all the lying voices will be seen for what they are. 
So unbelief is what keeps us, ultimately, because then we disobey. And that's not to say we don't have some measure of unbelief. We're not perfect yet. But we keep bringing it back to the word. The word is the light that dispels the darkness, that corrects our bad thinking, just like the writer is here. He keeps going back to the word, as we're going to see in our final point. And so we need to know that we're not idle. This is not an idle time. We're, we're not in glory yet. We're not in the promised, the promised land yet. We're not in the rest yet. We're waiting for it. But it will come because God does not lie, as we will see in this last point here. So our final point is, what's the basis of hope of entrance? What's the basis? And today, today until the Lord comes, we have hope. We have a good reason for hope, not a vain hope. And we see this, how the writer deals with this. Over and over, he keeps bringing us back to the word. He's not, like I said, I don't want to be a broken record. He's not giving us his opinion. He's not taking a poll. What do most people think? doesn't matter. It's irrelevant. All those things are going to pass. But God's word is the foundation on which we build our lives because he never lies. He never lies, as we'll see. As Paul says in Hebrews, I mean the letter, letter to the, uh, Titus. And Peter's reminded us in his first epistle, these great and precious promises, they're not in vain. They're here for us to take up and lay hold of because one day it'll be too late. These great and precious promises where we get to participate in the divine nature. We become like Christ by the Holy Spirit. And we see all the things that have gone on in the past where people did not believe. And God gave them his word, these sure promises. I was overwhelmed when I saw all the descendants of Abraham. You know, God wants us to think about his word when we're engaged with it. To think about He and Sarah, no kids, but God promised they would have a child, and he did it. And it wasn't like he he just had one child, and that was the end of the story, and no descendants. It was like this multitude of Israel. It's It's God's goodness. It's God's faithfulness on display. And so he gives us his word to initiate faith, And to strengthen faith. We see this over and over again. That faith is built upon the word. And we need to always see that. And the writer, particularly in this chapter, talks about how how strong the word is. How powerful the word is. 412. For the word of God is living and active, sharper than any two-edged sword. And piercing to the division of soul and of spirit, of joints and of marrow. And discerning the thoughts and intentions of the heart. And no creature is hidden from his sight, but all are naked and exposed to the eyes of him to whom we must give an account. That God is the light above all lights. There will be no hiding on the last day. There will be no uh, place to, to get away from his gaze. He knows everything. And now is the day of salvation. Today is the day to enter that rest, to begin to enter that rest. That we might be finally partakers of it in glory. Paul, in the letter to the Romans, says this. But the righteousness based on faith says, Do not say in your heart, Who will ascend to heaven? That is to bring Christ down. Or who will descend into the abyss? That is to bring Christ up from the dead. But what does it say? 
The word is near you, in your mouth and in your heart. That is the word of faith that we proclaim. Because if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. You will enter that rest. You will begin to enjoy that rest. For with the heart one believes and is justified, and with the mouth one confesses and is saved. For the scripture says everyone who believes in him will not be put to shame. They won't be put to shame because God is not a liar. Titus says, uh, Paul says to Titus in the beginning of his letter to Titus, speaking of his calling, a servant of God and an apostle of Jesus Christ, for the sake of the faith of God's elect and their knowledge of the truth, which accords with godliness and hope of eternal life, which God, who never lies, who never lies, promised before the ages began, and at the proper time manifested in his word through the preaching with which I have been entrusted by the command of God our Savior. God never lies. You know, the psalmist says, all men are liars, and you feel like that sometimes, right? You turn on the television, it's like, listen to the internet. You know, whatever it is, and you see in your own heart where you speak lies in your own heart. But God never lies. Every word that he has said is firm. There is nothing that can defeat it. That's why God's people are a people of the word. There is no other word besides the word of God. And from Genesis to Revelation, it's there for our most holy faith. For our most holy faith. And so as the the writer says to us today, today as we gather this morning, the question is, where are you in your faith? God has given us his word to strengthen your faith and maybe some will come to faith for the first time. But we have a warning because there will be a day when it will be too late. But now is the day of salvation. Today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts. May God grant that to us today and from this day forward till the sun comes again. Let's pray. Our Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word. And Father, we see that your people trembled when you spoke in the Old Testament. That uh, Mighty physical acts have happened. And yet, as glorious as that was, as, the, as glorious as it was when you gave the law, how much more glorious is it when you send your son into the world? to speak to us himself. How much more glorious is it than all the lightnings and flashings that went on at the mountain with Moses compared to where Christ is now in glory itself, way beyond this mortal world. And so, Father, we ask that by your spirit, we might lay hold of your word, your word as it's been given to us, that we might honor your son. We see how you are displeased if we dishonor your son. So we ask that for his sake, because he is glorious, that we would be those who joyfully, willingly bow the knee to him by the power of the Holy Spirit, who are taken from darkness into your marvelous light and are taken from those who are your enemies by nature to become your children by the new nature, the new birth. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.